Welcome to Strategy Talk, where the editors of Strategy Page discuss current events with a splash of history. I'm Dan Masterson, host of Strategy Talk. With me today is the editor of Strategy Page, well-known military author and game designer, Jim Dunnigan. Also joining us is the associate editor of Strategy Page, columnist and author, Austin Bay. Welcome, Austin and Jim. Thought we'd spend a little bit of time talking about uh, Turkey and the new sultan that sits there, or the wannabe sultan. Austin, you've written several articles on uh, Erdogan. Uh, the the best was probably the ego sultan. Um, <laughs> what is going on with Erdogan, and what are his goals and his desires for Turkey? Look. I addressed, excuse me, I addressed this a little bit in the um, biography I did of Kamal Ataturk from Macmillan, which came out in 2011. But I got asked this question straightforward in a symposium I attended at Stanford in October of 2017. And here's what, I know this sounds novelistic, but I, I think this gets at something about the psychology of Erdogan. Uh, Jim says we're going to have to deal with paranoia here. Megalomania is a form of paranoia. I think he's jealous of, of Mustafa Kemal Ataturk, and he wants to be the greatest modern uh, figure in, in Turkish politics. Part of the reason he's animus to Ataturk is Ataturk was a secularist, and <clears throat> Erdogan somewhere back there <clears throat> is a, he is an Islamist. Uh, he's a, a peculiar type of, uh, of Islamist. He doesn't uh, have uh, anything in common with uh, uh, Al Qaeda. Uh, he'll uh, and, and the his his uh, security forces, just like Turkish security forces of the past, uh, fight them uh, and uh, kill them. And sometimes uh, we suspect assassinate uh, Al Qaeda uh, operatives. So do the Israelis. Uh, there, there's uh, some common cause there. But that said, Erdogan uh, has been slowly since he came to power, first as prime minister, and then he created a like really manipulation, a a strong presidency, and now he's president. Uh, there are a lot of shenanigans in the elections, and he's centered power on himself. He really has, has uh, using a democratic or semi-democratic process, uh, created uh, an authoritarian presidency, which just fits his authoritarian personality to a T. Now, we can get into this a bit later, um, that... <clears throat> Curious coup of July 2016 uh, certainly fed into his uh, fears that the military was eventually going to act against him because of the way Ataturk set up the his democratic orientation is a term that uh, Andrew Mango, his greatest biographer, came up with <clears throat> to setting Turkey on a path to a genuine parliamentary democracy, as he feared the uh, <clears throat> Islamists would, uh, uh, Muslim authoritarians, <clears throat> would undermine Turkey's 
uh, a, a secular re, uh, republic. So he wanted the military. No, it's your job to act to protect the secular republic against uh, <clears throat> a return of Muslim authoritarianism. Uh, he's defanged Erdogan, uh, defanged the military, and then comes the curious coup. Uh, well, we've talked about that a little bit before on past strategy talks, but of July 2016, which uh, if it was a coup, then the Turkish military doesn't know how to pull a coup off uh, anymore. He used that coup, Erdogan did, as a way to purge the government, <laughs> purge all, all, uh, all sectors of uh, Turkish society of uh, his uh, political opponents. And uh, yes, he is. He's paranoid in the megalomaniacal sense and paranoid in the sense that he thinks he's threatened from all, um, particularly by the military, but by uh, the Turkish Democrats. And that's Democrat with a little d. Uh, curiously enough, maybe not so curiously, there has been pushback from uh, the Republican People's Party, CHP, which was Ataturk's uh, party center right is what it's usually um, usually de described that way, uh, and uh, within the elections that have occurred this year in uh, primarily in Istanbul, Ankara, and Izmir, the three big big cities uh, in Turkey, uh, he's unpopular. If there was a snap election, there's a chance that his Justice and Development Party, the AKP, would be would lose its uh, majority uh, in Parliament, and uh, that would mean that there could be a snap election to replace Erdogan, and he's afraid of that, and he should be afraid of it. Uh, his one of the unique things about Turkey is that uh, <laughs> it's. Um, overwhelmingly predominantly overwhelmingly Muslim nation but it's also well it's been a secular democracy and Erdogan has gone about uh, 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 undermining it but uh, what brings us here uh, now we'll talk I just already uh, sketched some of the uh, 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 political records since 2002 that's when the AKP won uh, a, a national election and they when it came into power in, in 2003. They've been in power since then, and Erdogan's been the boss. One other thing I'll say about Erdogan, and I'm paraphrasing what he said in a speech uh, in the 1990s. Uh, it ultimately ended up getting him jailed uh, for, uh, let's see, I forget the actual actual charge, but it amounted to uh, uh, treasonous, uh, uh, treasonous language. Um, he said, uh, democracy is just uh, a train we ride until we get off at the station. I'm, that's a big paraphrase. It's rather, it's, it's rather elegant the way he uh, actually, uh, actually said it, meaning that uh, oh, we're riding it, and then when we get off, we'll be in control. And, you know, the, just the last election is when my Islamist party wins, um, and uh, we uh, assume uh, control. He claimed he's disavowed that statement now, but he is angry, still angry about being arrested and, and uh, jailed in the night uh, in the 1990s. He, he has no problem 
jailing his opponents, arresting and jailing his opponents, particularly journalists. I think right now uh, Turkey under Erdogan has got – well, again, it's hard to know how many people are actually jailed in China and Russia and the like. But in open societies, I think uh, – uh, in open societies where we can get uh, g- good figures, I think Turkey leads the number of journalists in prison, and um, <laughs> most of them are people who've written or uh, articles uh, condemning uh, Erdogan. They, they several of these journalists have been in jail before, and then they get out, and then they are sent back to jail. So it's not a pretty picture, Dan. At the same time. Um, Turkey, for the most part, has uh, lived up to its its uh, NATO NATO requirements, and uh, in Jirlik, uh Air Base in in uh, southern uh, southeastern Turkey is still one of NATO's major uh, air bases. Uh, supply flights to Afghanistan, uh, surveillance flights all over Central Asia and the Mediterranean and uh, even e- Eastern Europe are uh, a base out of, uh, out of that uh, air base. Uh, it's extremely important to, uh, to, to NATO in the, in the uh, entire south, uh, southeastern sector and North Africa uh, and, and Persian Gulf. Uh, one other point, I'll just toss toss this out. At, at that conference in, in at Stanford, one of the things I was asked was, "Is what happens if we uh, lose uh, in Jerlik?" And I, I, one of the things I tossed out, it's, it's I'm not the first person to think of it, is the British uh, air bases uh, in the British sovereign base zones uh, on Cyprus. They're also uh, well located for that kind of. Uh, uh, of air uh, air, support, air support, the thing is, is that uh, in Jirlik is is uh, bigger and uh, can handle uh, can can handle all of the uh, uh, NATO requirements. You really don't want to lose it, but uh, you have to consider it given uh, Erdogan's behavior. Uh, the best outcome would be for his uh, party, the AKP, to lose, and he'd be tossed out of power. I'll just leave it there. I think I've given you the answer. He's, he he wants to be – I called him an ego sultan. He he doesn't like being called Sultan Rajib, which is you – know, Rajib Tayyip Erdogan is his name, and the sultan always gets called by his first name. So that's right. – it, it ticks him off, and I think that's good. He shouldn't yeah. – now, one of the things, Jim, that Erdogan has caused is a collision between the F-35 and the S-400. Uh, tell us a little bit about that. Well, nobody can really understand what he's up to there. Um, by accepting the S-400, and delivery started last week. I've flown in. Um, he's basically cutting himself off from the F-35 program. Not only was uh, uh, Turkey buying some F-35s, but as part of that deal, uh, Turkish firms were manufacturing some of the components, you know, some of the structural components. Now, that can be shifted to another manufacturer. That's not high tech. I mean, it's difficult to switch, but it's no big deal. Um, and... Uh, he apparently cannot make up his mind, as Austin pointed out, 
Do you want to be in NATO or do you not want to be in NATO? Uh, you know, he has his people, you know, going by the book. I'm sure his military advisors are, are telling him or even including the ones he trusts. I mean, he doesn't really trust a lot of people in the military um, that you can't trust the Russians. They are an, they are an ancient enemy. I mean, and, and there's and there's reasons for that. Um, and he doesn't have, uh, as Austin points out, the full support of, you know, his own government. Uh, he, let me put it, uh, you know, succinctly. He has the Muslim Brotherhood disease. I mean, that pretty much sums it all up. The Muslim Brotherhood was an organization, a moderate Muslim, you know, uh, you know, rule, as it were, uh, in Egypt in the uh, 1920s. Uh, the problem with the Muslim Brotherhood is it cannot escape the fundamental problem with all efforts to, uh, how should I put it, come up with a way to have Islamic rule, in other words, by Islamic law, without being co-opted or, or having your operation destroyed by the fanatics. And, the, and a current example of that was in Egypt in 2011. The uh, Muslim Brotherhood had basically been, you know, uh, how should I put it, much reduced uh, after a outbreak of... Uh, Violence uh, involving the uh, the basically the radical faction of the uh, the Muslim Brotherhood in, in Egypt, and that was put down with great you know violence, um, and the Muslim Brotherhood became very unpopular uh, with the uh, with the Egyptian people who basically agreed with a lot of the basic ideas of the Muslim Brotherhood. In other words, you know less corruption, honest government. But in 2011, the Arab Spring. Egypt was one of the places where Mubarak, the old, you know, military dictator, was overthrown. Well, I mean, he's democratically elected, but the elections were rigged. But, you know, that's an old story. So um, uh, a Muslim Brotherhood, during 2011, they decided, hey, something's happening. Let's get in there and try and get in front ahead of it. And they did. And they basically said, you know, hey, this is a perfect uh, opportunity to, to put in place a government that is both Muslim and honest. Uh, and so the Muslim Brotherhood, when the elections were held, uh, Morsi, the head of Mr. Morsi, they recently died, um, became the, uh, the president. Uh, that's when things came apart. His radical faction, which every, you know, Muslim, Muslim Brotherhood has not been able to solve that problem. In fact, any Islamic organization, a party, whatever, they always have a radical faction which plays the we are more Islamic than thou card. Now, this is a serious problem, has been for over a thousand years in Islam. Uh, there's no, how should I put it, Rome. There's no central authority everybody agrees on to settle important uh, doctrinal, you know, whatever, you know, uh, disputes. Um, and, and because it is mentioned in the uh, Quran, that, you know, basically the Quran gives Islamic extremists justification. Uh, in other words, there are no breaks on them. There's no Islamic pope. There's nothing in there. You know, for example, the Bible, the, the Christian Bible and, 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 and Jewish scripture does not have a lot of advice, practical advice on how to lie, cheat and steal and kill anyone who is not a Muslim. I mean, they're very explicit about that in the Quran. These guys, these Islamic terrorists, they quote, they're not making stuff up. It's there. Now, uh, governments like Saudi Arabia, they point out that, well, it's subject to interpretation. But you don't always have 
a basically a how should a king, which is what Saudi Arabia is a monarchy. It was founded by a guy who knew how to handle the Islamic you know radicals. That is rare. <coughs> His sons have been basically adapting, uh, not as well as their father or grandfather now uh, uh, did to it. But he's the model they're all trying to follow. But it's it's a very difficult problem because you're talking about true believers. They believe that, and you know, you can read this. You can read the English translations of you know the Arabic newspapers in the past. That wasn't available unless you were a scholar or you know worked for the CIA or the State Department, which translated it and then ignored it. Um, they, a lot of people in these Muslim countries, they believe this. Now Erdogan's. Uh, deal was, oh, well, let me get back to Egypt and finish that, because it, most, a lot of people aren't aware of what happened there. All right. Uh, when the Morsi, the Muslim Brotherhood got in, and they had to basically set up, make, uh, you know, announce changes, how we're going to change the government, how we're going to deal with corruption, uh, the basically the uh, radical uh, wing, as it were, of the uh, party got in front and said, all right, you must basically uh, rule Egypt uh, via Sharia law, no exceptions, no you know uh, Sharia light. Uh, this this is this is God's you know uh, dictate, and there's no arguing about it. Well, you know the Egyptian people have been through this before, and they said, oh my God, you know we thought these guys had it under control. They didn't. There was a popular uprising. Morsi was overthrown. There was another election. And another former general, this named Sisi, not Mubarak, uh, came into power. Uh, he basically uh, restored peace. Uh, there's been prosperity. And there's, of course, ISIL and, uh, and Al-Qaeda and various other and, and radical, uh, you know, radical factions of the Muslim Brotherhood uh, still trying to uh, make life uh, miserable or at least more ex- Islamic, as they like to put it, uh, for the Egyptian people. The popular opinion in Egypt is hostile to these guys, not because of their their goals, their stated goals, but because they basically, one of their, their, their favorite tactics, which they can't get away from, is to attack the tourist industry and attack anything Western. And most Egyptians realize that if you're going to make a living in the 21st century or the 20th, you basically have to get what the Islamic uh, radicals consider a Western education, a non-religious education. You basically, tourists account for like 10% of the GDP. I mean, they are they are one of the pillars of the economy. And the, basically, the uh, any the, most radic- Islamic radicals want to keep the foreigners out. Uh, they want to, you know, uh, make more on Israel which, you know, is not a viable, you know, foreign policy in that part of the world. Um, they want to basically have a lifestyle police going around, you know, uh, arresting women uh, who don't, you know, cover up, men who don't have beards, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, they don't understand. And, and apparently, apparently, if you're an Islamic radical in Egypt or any place else, it doesn't make any difference. That, that doesn't fly. In Egypt. Egypt has always been a little different, you know, as far as Muslim countries go. Um, and uh, and the Egyptians are proud of that. In other words, they, they say, well, we're practical Muslims. Uh, and they've never really tolerated the, the fanatics. Uh, but their fanatics are as fanatic as anybody else's fanatics. They think they're more clever, but they're not. They lose. Um, Erdogan admires the Muslim Brotherhood. He doesn't say it out loud because he's smart enough to realize, well, this is not a popular thing. Uh, but there was ample evidence 
you know, after uh, 2003, when he came in and he was basically uh, the conduit for uh, ISIL recruits and, you know, uh, supplies going to various uh, Islamic uh, radical rebel groups in Syria, uh, it was possible if he knew the right people and the Erdogan government to get free passes through uh, the border crossings. Now, he would never admit this, but again, the evidence piled up and piled up, uh, mainly from, you know, captured, uh, you know, uh, Islamic terrorists. They say, well, of course we got through, you know, we knew so-and-so, and and, uh, we just mentioned that name or that code word, whatever, and they say, all right, yeah, you're one of, you know, Erdogan, Erdogan's Erdogan's guys, uh, or whatever. Um, Turkey was split on this element, uh, Erdogan, realizing that, that he has a problem with uh, Turkish public opinion, uh, which Austin points out, you know, uh, uh, quite bluntly, uh, most Turks do not want an Islamic government. Uh, they're not 100%, you know, uh, uh, switched over uh, to the Ataturk, you know, uh, secular form of government. But that's another problem with Islam. They have no how should I put it, a religiously correct way to separate church and state. That's a problem they have never been able to solve. Because, again, the, their scripture is quite explicit that there is no separate church and state. If you're a true Muslim, Sharia is the law of the land. There is no alternative. Whereas in the Bible, you know, I don't know who put that in there. Well, I'm, I'm going to sound like a... Uh, <laughs> Christian heretic, but anyway, it states quite explicitly, render unto Caesar what is Caesar, render unto God what is God. And there's basically not a lot of discussion in the, in the, in the Bible about, you know, uh, having a, you know, religious government. I mean, the popes tried it, you know, uh, during the Middle Ages by assuming, uh, you know, that's why you have the Holy Roman Empire. It didn't work. And by the, uh, by the 1600s, when they had the, the Great Compromise after the big religious wars, the Thirty Years' War, they basically agreed, all right, our official policy is there is no, you know, church domination of the government. Uh, Christians and, and, you know, and I mean, Christians of all types, Catholics and, and these uh, Protestants, or as the nuns used to say when I was in high school in the 50s, these, these you know, rebels, um, uh, you know, we get along. I mean, that's basically, and, that's, and it, that has worked ever since. The Muslims have not had a moment like that. Uh, the Saudis, of all people, uh, are trying to negotiate something like that. The, 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 the Muslim reform movement, uh, which they've been pushing for two decades now, um, it's not making a lot of headway because you've still got that scripture and you can't change scripture because it's God's word and it's immutable, et cetera, et cetera. So the problem with Erdogan, Erdogan is, I'm sorry, I'm using the, the incorrect alternative pronunciation, um, is that uh, he can apply the Muslim Brotherhood approach without, of course, calling it Muslim Brotherhood, because that's anathema in Turkey, um, and make it work. But nobody's made it work. Uh, and now he's taking heat from his, 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 you know, the other Muslim majority countries in the, in the region, um, because they don't trust him. He, basically, he lies. In other words, he, he's following the, the, the Quran scripture, which says it's okay to lie to your her, her, heretics or non-Muslims. Um, and he, he's seen as deceptive and, in, by some cynics, delusional. Um, 
and he's not a real success. He's become corrupt. Uh, he's manipulating elections. Uh, as Austin points out, his his attitude is a common one with uh, with uh, Muslim politicians. We'll have elections until we don't need them anymore. In other words, until we have an Islamic state, which, of course, based upon past experience, it self-destructs after a while. I mean, nobody seems to get that. Uh, it, it, but it's but it's a trope that's popular with a lot of uh, Muslim, in Muslim countries with the politicians because they I'm on God's side, God's on my side, and all, all my opponents are, are heretics and and godless, etc., 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 etc. You don't get that as much in the West anymore because we basically sorted it out after hundreds, several centuries of bloodshed over religious uh, you know, differences. Um, <laughs> the, the Jews, same thing. The Hindus, to their credit, they're the largest uh, polyethnic, uh, you know, many, many gods religion in the world. They basically solved that a long time ago. And they basically used the old pre-Christian, uh, you know, Islam uh, approach was uh, we'll just accept any new god that comes along. If you're willing to have us, we're willing to have you. Now, that's that that goes against the there's only one God and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But be that as it may, it works for the Hindus. Uh, they had their extremists, but there's no none of them can invoke, you know, uh, my way or the highway. You know, there's only one one way and and Hindus must be, you know, uh, my version of Hinduism must be the only one. They don't have that. That is an essential problem in Islam. And Erdogan thought he could exploit it. But he couldn't. I mean, like Austin points out, that coup three years ago is very suspicious. It, it appears in hindsight now that it wasn't an organized coup per se. It was some guys in the Air Force decided we can do it all. Now, if you look at the history of coups in the in the last hundred years since you had an Air Force, the Air Force, if a country had an Air Force, these were the most educated, uh, technically the smartest, but considering the way they run coups, not the smartest, uh, people in the military. They had a high opinion of themselves. That's something that still applies. Um, and uh, they could be insufferable and sometimes, you know, outright rebellious. Um, and that has happened before. Uh, and it doesn't work. I mean, it can work in theory, but that's what happens when you think you're the smartest guy in the, in the armed forces and you're not. Uh, and you somehow having airplanes makes you think that, bingo, you know, you can do anything. In fact, one of these one of the stories circulating in Turkey now about why did Erdogan buy the S-400 uh, is because if he bought the Patriot, the Air Force would have access via NATO uh, to the IFF, you know, the, to the security measures, um, and Erdogan couldn't use the Patriots to shoot down his own Air Force, whereas technically he can do that with the S-400 system, which will be installed by Russians. There'll be Russians there for a long time uh, reporting to, you know, Moscow and Erdogan, and uh, that is, and now that, this is a rumor, but it came from Turkey, so who knows? Um, uh, that may be the what, maybe what he's thinking. But he's basically, and apparently, he's playing chicken with his NATO membership, because you know a lot of NATO members, not just the United States, are getting kind of fed up with this. I mean, during the Cold War, you know, Turkey was a a bulwark of you know NATO because they were basically protecting that flank, and they were very much afraid of the Soviet Union, the Russians, because the Russians made no uh, no secret of the fact that if if there was a war, they were going to basically you know come through Turkey or try to come through Turkey. So the Turks never forgot that, but you know Erdogan has because he feels hey now I can be friends with the Russians. You know sure hug the bear and see what happens. Um, 
That's another, you know, uh, phrase that's popular with the uh, ancient enemies of Russia. Um, and, and Putin, who is basically a, a, a declining economy, uh, a declining population, uh, and basically a, 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 how should I put it, an aging and obsolete military, uh, is trying to basically stay in the game by making these sales, making these moves, making himself appear you know, in the, in the tradition of, of, of Count Potemkin, you know, much more powerful than he actually is. But we cover this regularly in strategy page, and it's sort of pathetic. Uh, I mean, there are so many ways. I mean, that's why we keep covering it. The new weapon system is an asking when we point out that, well, in fact, this became obvious in Syria, where there was a whole category of new weapons, which they used in Syria, but then they stopped using them. And the answer that came out, and this came from Russia, was they only had a few you know, how should I put it? They had, uh, you, know, uh, you know, display copies, display models, and that was it. There was no inventory of these high-tech weapons that they had gone to great expense to figure out how to produce smart bombs and what have you. Uh, same with modern aircraft. Uh, and so Russia is, is even more desperate than Erdogan is because the Turkish economy, although it's in a funk right now because of its mismanagement, uh, is in better shape than the Russians are. So you can see what's going on here. You got paranoid people fly, flailing around. Oh, another thing that, that hasn't come up yet is um, Erdogan uh, got involved in Libya, uh, supporting naturally the UN approved uh, Islamist uh, government. There are two governments there. One is anti-Islamist and one is pro-Islamist. The one is pro-Islamist is in Tripoli, based in Tripoli. All they have left of uh, what they uh, they used to control technically, you know, half of uh, uh, Libya. All they have left is is Tripoli, and that's now under siege by the uh, by the Libyan National Army, the uh, the anti-Islamist uh, you know uh, group. Um, and who is the who is coming to the rescue of um, uh, the uh, the the Tripoli government? Erdogan, Turkey, Turkey sending in uh, weapons. Which is, you know, a no-no. There's an embargo. Uh, he's sending in uh, armored vehicles. Uh, he may have troops in there. He's threatening to invade, officially invade Libya. Uh, and this is all because uh, he backs up, you know, uh, you know, Islamic rules light, uh, which doesn't work. And he never seemed to figure that out. Or maybe he doesn't want to. Uh, it made sense back in the late 90s with Islamic parties saying, look, let us get in power. There are, there's a constitution in Turkey, the, the Ataturk constitution, which prevents an Islamic government from taking over. Uh, but we are honest. You know, we are blah, blah, blah. And as Austin pointed out, he was honest for a while until he got power. And now he's as corrupt as the people he was, you know, replacing. Um, and Turks have noticed that. Uh, so, you know, what are you going to do when you get in, you get on the train and see you can afford to get off and, and burn the railroad. Um, and, uh, you know, t the more and more, more Turks are finding this out. They don't want a civil war. Uh, Erdogan plays the Kurd card. The Kurds want to develop their own Kurdistan with Eastern Turkey and parts of, you know, Iran, Iraq and Syria. Um, uh, but that's never going to happen because the, the Kurds can't get along with each other, but that's another story. Um, the uh, uh, so you know basically uh, Erdogan was supposed to be the solution to the corruption problem. Oh, by the way, let's get let's let's mention that the reason why corruption was such a big deal in Turkey. Turkey wanted to get into the European Union, as did Greece. Greece 
managed to lie their way in. In other words, Greece and Turkey were both notorious. Actually, they both both those areas have been notorious for since since ancient Roman times. It, you know, we have plenty of script, we have plenty of documents on that. Uh, the Romans were sort of, you know, well, they were they were prissy prigs. They could be they could be corrupt, but they had rule of law. And uh, they enforced it more often than anybody else did. And that was an attraction back in those days. Uh, and they said, beware of the East. They're all corrupt. Uh, there's no, you know, we can conquer them, but you can't turn them into honest Romans. Uh, that, that thing has changed in, you know, uh, 2,000 years. Uh, you know, when Alexander the Great invaded Persia, one of the one of the incentives was to basically steal all the money that corrupt, uh, you know, Persian imperial uh, officials had stolen themselves and hidden away, um, and that was distributed as loot, as it were, to the various leaders. So things haven't changed. The Turks managed to convince the EU that, hey, we're honest. The Turks were less successful. The the uh, Greeks were eventually found out in what 2007, uh, and that triggered a huge, uh, you know, uh, you know, economic, uh, you know, uh, how should I put it? Collapse in in uh, in uh, in Greece, which is basically bankrupt. They had they had borrowed more than they admitted they were borrowing. They couldn't pay it back, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The Turks were actually cleaning up their act more than the Greeks, but the Greeks had, hey, we're Europeans, we're not Muslims. Of course, you can trust us. Uh, well, let's not go into that. Anyway, the the Turks, meanwhile, went with the Erdogan and said, "Well, we're Muslim." And, uh, and I'm going to clean up the corruption more. And when he did that initially, that did improve economic, you know, uh, activity. The economy got stronger, as it usually does when you when you get the crooks out of the uh, the, the woodwork, uh, the works. Um, but now he's gone corrupt, and you basically need a friend of Erdogan, you know, to basically get anything done. And they've they, you know gone right back. Uh, so Erdogan is bad news. For himself, <laughs> for Turkey, for NATO, you name it. Anything he touches basically turns to crap. And now he's doing it in Libya. And, and you know, he basically is devoting all his resources to protecting himself from what he calls internal enemies. Basically, anybody who doesn't agree with him is an internal enemy. And as Austin pointed out, this, this coup... In, in two three uh, three years ago, which was which was a mini coup. I mean, it's weak by Greek standards. Their coups used to be, you know, fairly well organized. Boom, boom, boom. You know, thousands of troops. You know, lockdown it was over in 24 hours. No muss, no fuss. Uh, we'll we'll basically try and clean things up and then hold elections again. Repeat cycle. Uh, that's been going on in Pakistan and in you know a few other countries for a long time. Um, well, it, it it sounds like it's going to continue to be a mess. Look, look, the Tur yeah. Turkish military, the Turkish army coups, they were they, swift, effective, um, and uh, didn't fail. And they didn't fail. Look, the Turkish people got tired of what they called Praetorianism, where the military came in and. Uh, knocked out off the government, usually for corruption, is yeah. one of the things that, that did it. Uh, military is anti-Islamist in the sense of po political Islamism, and, and has been, though Erdogan has gone around trying to uh, change change that, to get his, uh, promote uh, officers who are 
sympathetic to him and simply uh, sympathetic to him first or uh, uh, lo- uh, uh, loyal to him. He still hasn't managed to purge it completely, which is why his he's still afraid of particularly the uh, 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 Turkish army. But that said, the people got I mean, I mean, 80 percent of the Turkish public, including uh, the Turkish uh, Re- Republican People's Party, Kemalists, uh, the uh, Kurdish Socialist Party, and and uh, AKP. We don't want them anymore. And that was one of Erdogan's pitches in the late 90s and in the first decade of of this century. Even after he'd gotten his party had had taken power, we're not going to have coups anymore. And that was popular. He was that was when he was on his anti-corruption kick. The thing is now, as Jim said, he's as corrupt as well the the Kemalists became in the eighties and nineties. He may be even more corrupt when you look at this at at the what he's done to educational institutions as well as financial institutions and to what in Turkey Turkey had developed a, a responsible. Uh, free press. What, what do I mean by that? I mean, real tough criticism of of Turkish politicians, tough criticism of the military, even when the military was in power. It, it was tolerated because this this is a hallmark of a of a democracy, of a, pol- a parliamentary de- uh, uh, democracy. I mean, you couldn't threaten to kill somebody. Well, you're not supposed to be able to do that in, in, in any civilized uh, any civilized country. But for the most part, you wanted to write something uh, 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 and political criticism. You, it was, it was, it was tolerated. Uh, it was tolerated too if you wanted to criticize. Uh, uh, Religious figures. There, were, there was a little bit more sensitivity about that, but I'm not just talking about is Islamic figures. And this is going on from 70s, 80s, 90s into into the first decade of of, of this century. And then suddenly Erdogan is, is cracking down on criticism of Islam and also criticism of him. And that is something here that. Turks didn't want to have any more coups. Well, they don't want to lose their rights to uh, free speech. And the other thing is, is that Jim, when you're talking about the, you know, the Islam on this and Egypt's problem with with it, remember the Egyptians see themselves as Egyptians first. The Turks, the Turks, the, the Turks, we're not Arabs. And that's one of that's one other thing. We're we're ethnically uh, a Turk, you know, like the Kurds. We're ethnically Kurds, and uh, there. The other thing is, is that's forgotten in most cases, uh, especially in the West. It's forgotten. It's not forgotten in Arab lands or North Africa. The Turks were the imperialists for for centuries in those areas. It was they were part of the Ottoman Empire. There is some, you know, resentment uh, on that uh, on that part. But the th- here's where Erdogan makes enemies in, in in the region is that he was going to be a neo-Ottomanist at one time. Remember that that term that we're yeah. you know, we're going to have our own policy and uh, 
extend Turkish power and, and, and influence. That was part of the reason they, uh, they, his uh, in, critics in Turkey said, hey, you just want to be a sultan. And look what sultanism did to us. Compare our situation now as a secular republic with what we would be if we were under a an Ottoman yoke, and that uh, was a term that the Greeks, when they were uh, uh, under Ottoman control, would uh, uh, would use. So, Dan, is, I, I guess you couldn't say it better than what Jim did. Everything he touches, it becomes a bit of a mess, and a lot of it is just centered around his own <sighs> own desire for power. Is, is and, 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 his, and his own delusions. I mean, he basically doesn't catch the fact that, uh, as Austin pointed out, the Ottoman centuries are not looked upon as the good old days uh, in, the, in, the, in the subject provinces, in the conquered provinces. Egypt freed itself. The English came along, and they basically, well, the French said first, but then the English came along, and they said, look, uh, we'll offer you a deal. Yeah, we, we're imperialists, uh, but we want to build a canal, and we want to do this, and we want to do that. But we basically don't want to you know, own Egypt forever. You know, we'll basically do our business, and then you become independent. Uh, and that was just a business deal. The with the Turks, they couldn't let go. They they conquer an area, and uh, instinctively they say, "Well, no, it's ours forever. Nothing is forever." The English understood that. The Turks did not. So, and and of course, Erdogan doesn't understand that the 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 former provinces, the former conquered territories, and we're talking about all, most of the Middle East and, and North Africa. Uh, that is. That memory is part of their their psyche. They do not want any return of the Turk. Uh, they're willing to, you know, basically do business with the Turks, to trade with Turkey and what have you, but they don't want any more, you know, over, Turkish overlords because that did not work out well. Um, and that's something I, I think a lot of Turks understand that. In fact, the Turks have a saying, I, you know, I, 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 back in the 60s, I met this Turkish guy nuclear physicist of all things, and he told me that they have a saying in Turkey, uh, don't involve yourself with the affairs of the Arabs. In other words, most Turks, even though the official policy was there are subjects, you know, keep them under, you know, uh, control, uh, most Turks were basically practical and said, look, we don't want to really get involved. And when, when, when Egypt basically broke away, uh, there wasn't a lot of energy placed into reconquering Egypt because, as Austin pointed out, the Egyptians are different. In fact, that's another thing that get, doesn't get mentioned much. The Egyptians and and most of the people in North Africa are basically Amazakh or the or Berbers, we call them. The uh, the the ones who settled in the uh, and then the and the basically the DNA the uh, DNA analysis has basically confirmed this sus, you know, suspicion, as it were, this hypothesis. The the ones who settled in Egypt, you know, became the Egyptians, but the ones to the west, from you know, uh, from from uh, from Libya, you know, to Morocco, um, they basically were various local groups who were still had that had that culture. Now, when the Islamic uh, invasion came along, a lot of them basically uh, learned Arabic and said, all right, I'm now an Arab, but they weren't Arabs. In fact, in, in Libya and, uh, and Algeria, a large, uh, genetically, the majority of the people in both those countries are Berbers. But 
in both of them, you still have uh, large minorities, I think it's about a third in Algeria, who still identify as Berber. They still speak the Berber language. They want, they're like the Kurds, as it were, as far as the Turks are concerned. They want basically uh, uh, Berber recognized as a second language. The wise thing to do would be let it happen. You know, I mean, the, how long have they been doing this? How many thousand years? Uh, it's not going to end anytime soon. Um, and this is this is why the uh, Islam in North Africa is different. There are always local conditions, and and actually, it's not just it, it, not, by North Africa. I mean, including Egypt. They are simply, you know, uh, Berbers who made did real well. They got the Nile River, and they got basically they were able to found you know uh, one of the the original you know civilizations. Um, but the Turks did not. The Turks, you know, in, intrinsically understood it, but officially. Turks never recognized it. You know, they're subject people. We should conquer them. And they just didn't, you know, recognize history. It's just nobody's ever conquered Egypt. You might occupy it for a while, maybe 100, 200 years, but eventually they throw you out. Um, and Erdogan, you know, just doesn't get it that there is not going to be any new, you know, Turkish empire because the old one uh, uh, didn't last because it was not popular, it was not wanted, and even many Turks, that's why Ataturk, you know, was able to do what he was able to do, because most Turks agree, that's where that same goes, don't get yourself involved with the affairs of the Turks, uh, with the the Arabs, um, and Erdogan basically, you know, you're supposed to learn from history, he basically had a bad case of amnesia. Yeah, well, we're up against the clock, so uh, we'll wrap it up with that, and uh, we'll talk to you gentlemen next time. Take care, guys. All right. Bye-bye. Bye.